Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. All right. So before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out a few great free resources that I created just for runners. To get them, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or visit www.stephanienachuk.com. If you visit my website, there's a little pop-up box that comes up and it'll prompt you to enter your email address and these guides will be sent right to your inbox. The first guide is my fueling guide for runners. So in this resource, you'll find my top fueling tips for runners, as well as some specific meal ideas for both your pre and post run fuel. If you've been struggling to understand what to eat when to support your running and just figuring out like what those meal ideas, like what those meals look like, what kind of foods you should be including before versus after you run, what the difference is between pre and post run fueling, then this guide is exactly what you need to get you started on the right path. The other guide that I created is my strength training guide for runners. So this guide includes both a PDF resource, has some tips, guidelines, and links to my YouTube series where I actually walk you through all of the exercises in the program. This is a great beginner strength training guide for runners who want an effective but efficient full body workout that helps support the key muscles and movements you need to run stronger and injury free. So once again, both of these guides are available together. I have them put together as a little bundle for you. You can just click on the link in the show notes or go over to www.stephanienatchek.com, enter your email address just the one time, and both of these free guides will get sent to your inbox right away. I hope you enjoy these resources and find them helpful in supporting you and your running. And now let's get into today's episode. All right. So hello and welcome to today's episode where I am really, really excited to be joined by Dr. Funke Afolabi-Brown. She is a board certified sleep physician and she is the founder of the Restful Sleep MD. So we are here today to have a really exciting and hopefully motivating conversation all about sleep the importance of sleep, what sleep does for our bodies as runners, and why you probably should be getting more of it. So thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. Wonderful. So to start us off, um, I know that everyone would love to get to know you and the work that you do a little bit better. So if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit of an introduction to yourself, your education, and how you became interested in sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I started off as, you know, pediatrician. I went or I went to medical school First of all, not sure about what I wanted to do, then eventually gravitated towards pediatrics because I think kids are just incredible um, humans and they're resilient. And um, during that time, I started working as a pediatrician and then I went and got additional training in pediatric pulmonology where I take care of kids with breathing problems. And that was when I really started seeing the connection between 
you know, sleep and breathing problems, right? If you're coughing all night because you have um, breathing issues, maybe from asthma or other things, you're not going to sleep. And guess who else doesn't sleep? The parents. So mm-hmm. then I really started looking at this from kind of more of a holistic perspective. Like, how do I get the family to just have better lives overall? I could help their kids sleep. I could help them, the moms. And so I, that, you know, drove me to start to pursue uh, another training, a fellowship in sleep medicine. And so from there, I, you know, I was kind of living life in that sense, doing what I loved. But then I think over time, I really started to see a need where even beyond just the sleep disorders, right, beyond sleep apnea and some of those other sleep disorders, just the fundamental piece of educating families about why sleep is important because many times people just kind of push sleep to the wayside because other things take the space of it and then they start to wonder why they're sick and their kids are sick and things so so then that motivated me to start restful sleep md so it's really a mission of mine to empower and help parents especially busy moms because i'm one of them right and Mm -hmm. their children sleep better and so that's really been my story Oh, that's so interesting. That's wonderful. And I'll be totally honest, you know, and and this is just my own ignorance. I did not realize that you could become a like a specialized sleep physician. So I'm I'm very fascinated to of course dive into the whole world of of sleep and and all the intricacies of it, but I think that for anybody who, you know, like like you said sort of pushes off sleep, maybe doesn't prioritize it, you know, listen up guys, we have an entire field of medicine dedicated to this. So it is important and you, and you do need to get enough of it. So why do we sleep? Like what is the actual purpose and function of a human being or or any other species needing to sleep? That is such a beautiful question. I think to start with despite, I mean, Sleep is a relatively young field, but then it's, you know, the understanding of sleep to some degree has been, you know, has been around for like for decades now. But would you believe it that the exact function of sleep is still not known? We still don't know. (laughs) But we do know there are different benefits of sleep. And so that's what we tie it to. And so, you know, one of the things I usually say, sleep is a biological process. So the same way we have systems in place for our digestion, um, the same way we need water, we need air, sleep is one of those things that our bodies need for various things. And, you know, the different, you know, the different sort of benefits. I think the first piece to know is during sleep, there's restoration and repair. And so what does that mean? You actually have some hormones that are released and regulated during sleep, things like growth hormone, cortisol, which is important for stress, um, and our melatonin, which is sort of that sleep or darkness hormone that primes our brain for sleep. It's all released around sleep and regulated by sleep. So without sleep, we're going to have downstream effects because we don't have that. Then the second, uh, I would say, is more of the cognitive function. So mood, memory decision making those kind of things have been related to sleep and there are now studies that have shown that when people don't sleep well you know um, conditions like alzheimer's they found out that their deposits on the brain that are found on the brain surfaces of people who are not getting enough sleep and that's actually one of those deposits it's called amyloid beta it contributes to this 
conditions like Alzheimer's. So that is something that's really important. Then even our metabolism, our immune function, um, you know, again, I talked about hormone regulation, all of those things are associated with sleep. Our physical performance, I know we're going to be talking about athletes and, and running and things like that. It's all related to sleep. And then even our cardiovascular health. So having a healthy heart is related to good sleep. And we've seen people have increased risk of stroke and things like that when they don't get enough sleep. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's every body system. It's, it's aspects of, of, you know, sort of our immediate health and well-being. talking about like cognitive function and, and how we feel day to day, but also looking long-term at the value of getting enough sleep for helping to prevent even many chronic diseases. So, you know, it's, it's every facet of our health and well-being that can be impacted by this. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing that you mentioned was sort of the, the physical benefits of getting enough sleep, uh, growth hormone production um, and cortisol and things like that. So can you talk a little bit more about how sleep impacts exercise performance and recovery? Yes, that's another great question. So, you know, when we think about exercise, right, you think about an increased energy demands to your body. Um, to your mind, right? Especially if you are maybe playing in a team or making decisions that need a fast reaction time. And when we sleep, we get our energy restored, we get healing, and we get repair. Okay? So to start with repair, during sleep, we, our brains release growth hormone. And what growth hormone does in adults and in children is it promotes healing and recovery. So your muscles may be sore, they may be wear and tear. And so all those processes, growth hormone helps to regulate. And then the other piece is that energy restoration. So, you know, your muscles are using up a lot of, you know, glucose and things like that. So when you have that time to sleep, you're getting restoration of what we call glycogen to your muscles. And then the other piece also is, you know, I talked about the benefits of sleep, including regulating your immune function. So as an athlete, you do want to avoid getting sick too frequently, right? So being able to have an immune system that is very robust helps you to fight against infections. And of course, if you have less infection, then you have more time to train and you have your you have better performance overall. So I would say sleep is really closely linked to um, athletic performance and exercise and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you you also specifically mentioned your ability to train consistently mm -hmm. and your ability to you know sort of continue to commit to a program because. Yeah, the day-to-day -day workout quality and mm -hmm. how you feel day-to-day -day can be impacted by your sleep and, you know, your your ability to make decisions and, yeah. and stuff like that. But then if you're always having to take time off and it's like a few days here, a mm -hmm. few weeks there or something like that, you can't get through a training cycle or a training program and, and complete it because you're always having to take breaks and not get through all of those workouts, then yeah, yeah absolutely. That's going to be a huge detriment to your long-term performance. Exactly. You know, I wanted to even include even your mental well-being, right? So when you don't sleep well, uh, your mood is off, 
you're you may feel more anxious you may feel more depressed and guess what happens the motivation goes down and then if mm-hmm. one of the things you're doing is if you're playing or in you're involved with some kind of team sports then the ability to really work well in a team um, is affected by that. So again, not even just, I mean, a lot of benefits in terms of the physical piece, but even the mental and um, cognitive function and things like that is also affected by, by sleep. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've spoken, you know, about just general sort of broadly speaking, the impacts of not getting enough sleep on average, but what are some of the consequences of even like one night of bad sleep and not to scare people because we all occasionally have a rough night, like it's, you know, not out of the ordinary, but what are some of the things that can happen even just with a single night of poor sleep? I think one of the things that we may see from just a single night of poor sleep would be things like first your energy level. Um, sometimes your mood and absolutely your performance and productivity with just one night of sleep, um, of sleep deprivation, you can see that get affected. Um, there might be, to some degree, depending on how long you've been awake for, some lapses in judgment where your reaction time may be slower, where your decision making may be a little bit impaired. Um, you may start to notice that even from just one night of not getting enough sleep, stress levels also can go up even with just one night um, of poor sleep. So again, you do have some short term and then of course the long term things are the, you know, some of the things we talked about again, affecting your physical health, your heart health, your ability to heal and recover, fight infections, performance and all that on the long run. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when you look at, um, you know, runners or, or other highly active people compared to maybe a more sedentary population, do athletes need more sleep on average than non-active people do? Like, is there a difference or is it just that all adults need the same amount and it doesn't really matter in terms of your activity level? Man, Stephanie, I love I love your questions. They are like <laughs> incredible. And you the know, people need to know. I need to yeah. know. <laughs> I would say yes. The people that are athletes or people who are high performing uh, definitely need more sleep than those that are not as active. Because again, think about the increased energy demand, right? So with that, the longer, the more we sort of push our physical limits, the more time we may need for full recovery. And you'll see that with the elite athletes, right? You'll see a lot of them talk about some some of them needing up to 12 hours of sleep, especially those that are really up there, the Olympians and things like that. So you do, and what we notice is people that are more active may need more on the higher end of that seven to nine hours. And that's something mm-hmm. I would see. Unlike people who are not, you're not, you're not, sort of energy depleted and so you may not need as much sleep Um, and that's one of the things we recommend like if you are someone who's struggling with getting good quality sleep you probably need to be more active because when you're more active your body literally demands better sleep from you in that sense so um, you do need more sleep as as an athlete compared to someone who's not as active 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and I love that you, you know, specifically use the word like high performers because, you know, we, we talk about high performers in terms of, of course, like athletes and, and training volume and like that physical performance. But also when you look at people who like mentally are kind of what we, you know, high performers in their day to day lives, which many of us are. Um, there's often this sort of bit of a badge of honor that goes along mm. with not having to get very much sleep and people yeah. feeling as though it's, um, you know, yeah, kind of a, a flex to mm. not need to get as much rest. But really, I mean, the opposite should be the case. Mm. Like if you really want to be performing your best and, and, you know, being your best self in that way, then prioritizing rest and, and getting in enough sleep at every night or at mm-hmm. least as many nights as, as you possibly can should actually be the ultimate goal here. Absolutely. I always say, and I think it, I wasn't the one that coined this phrase, but sleep is your ultimate performance enhancing tool. That's just it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, like I, as a dietitian, I talk about that too, with like just simply eating enough energy, right? Like getting in enough fuel, enough carbohydrates mm-hmm. there, there's, you know, these basics, these fundamental things that, that human bodies need to perform well. And there's just no shortcuts for, mm-hmm. for any of this. You know, there's no shortcuts for food. There's no shortcuts for no. sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is true. And, and I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, yeah, this sleep hack, how you can hack sleep and get away with less sleep. And I'm here to say it doesn't work. It's going to catch up for sure. Like you said, there's really no shortcuts. You have to give your body what it needs and your body needs the sleep. Yeah. Wonderful segue into the next question that I have, mm-hmm. which is, you know, for people who maybe identify as as bad sleepers, and I actually would love to hear your thoughts on maybe some of the um, the mindset problems that people can get into when they're labeled maybe as as poor sleepers and how that can actually maybe affect sleep quality. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But what can people do to really optimize or improve their sleep quality if they think that it's lacking? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and usually when I work with people, that's one of the things we actually tackle first, the mindset, because mindset does matter. It actually matters when it comes to our sleep, because when we perceive ourselves as bad sleepers, then it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, because then you have a, a bad night of sleep and then you're like, yeah, see, I told you, I, you know, and so then it repeats itself. And so I think usually when I, what I do is try to challenge people to think, where is that thought coming from? Like a bad sleeper. Nobody is a bad sleeper. People might have difficulties with sleep here and there, but then their habits, their mindsets, their actions that we've taken that may then propagate, you know, those sleeping difficulties. And then we're in this vicious cycle where we then feel very stuck in our, either our poor sleep habits and things like that. So I agree that it's it's really changing that perspective to say, okay, how can I get better sleep or how can I improve my sleep? Because my sleep is not broken. I may just need a little bit of help and that's where it is and that's a good place to start. Now, I always say that I think it's important to just make sure you have the basics right. And those are those healthy sleep habits. People call them sleep hygiene. I'm not a fan of sleep hygiene because I'm like, hygiene just sounds like, dirty so the fact that you're having <laughs> the fact that you're trying to improve your sleep doesn't mean you're like 
cleaning up or if your sleep is broken you're dirty or whatever anyway so i call them healthy sleep habits and they have okay. few tenants to it the first is consistency because our bodies work with what we call a circadian rhythm or internal clock and so that is so tightly regulated by the um, environmental clock in that sense so the sun rises the sun sets and that triggers the production of melatonin, especially as the sun is setting. So when your body anticipates that regularity, it really helps anchor your circadian rhythm. So it's important to be consistent with your sleep time and with your wake time. And so as much as possible. But if there's, if you're like stuck and you feel like your bedtime could, is a little bit unpredictable, if you have to pick one, definitely make sure your wake up time is as consistent as possible because the clock sort of resets. In the morning okay, okay. and even on, yeah and even on the weekends most people try to sort of make up and sleep in till like noon i would recommend against it i would say try to buy as much sleep during the week and make this thing even rather than trying to pile up your and try to pay off your sleep debt in the week on the weekends and so that's one the other thing i would say that's always important again as a high performer, a high achiever, a high athlete is our mind. Our minds are constantly racing and moving and we're busy. We're busy achieving goals. So it's important to have a routine, a bedtime routine, two or three activities that kind of calm us down, that lead us in the direction of the bedroom. And so that depends. It varies for everybody. So if it's you know, a little bit of reading, taking a bath, you know, doing some yoga, some breathing, whatever that looks like, just find something that really helps you sort of wind down. And then the third thing I will recommend is just pay attention to your environment. Make sure your room is cool because our core body temperature drops. And so that helps sort of helps us start to get sleepy. Uh, make sure that it's noise free. So if you have a lot of external noise, you may need to you may need to get earplugs in or a white noise machine just to mask noise disrupting your sleep. And then the third thing would be light right? Our brain is very sensitive to light. And so if your brain perceives there's light, it's going to make your, it's going to trick your brain to think it's daytime. And then that decreases melatonin. So you want to pay attention to that bedroom environment. Another one I tell people to also watch out for is really what we're doing in bed. So many times our bed becomes where we're finishing up our work, we're bringing in our laptop, we're having phone calls, we're texting, we're on social media, we're watching TV. Sometimes we're even eating in bed, right? So try to, because your brain makes associations, you want to try to make sure that when you're in bed, all your brain is thinking about is sleep. So remove any non-sleep activities from your bed, from your bedroom, if possible. Another one is technology, devices, TV, screens. All those things are so activating for the brain. And so then it makes it hard for us to settle down. It makes it hard for us to, um, to be able to get high quality sleep in addition to causing a decrease in the melatonin production, especially screens that have blue light emission. So that's something you want to pay attention to. And then finally, you want to pay attention to what you're eating, what you're drinking. So I usually will recommend caffeine. Um, alcohol or things like that could be stimulating uh, that you avoided several hours before bed. So if you're someone who drinks coffee, you want to limit it to the morning because coffee has a very long half-life and it's not just coffee, it's caffeine. So soda, iced tea, energy drinks, all of them. So if you're going to drink that, you want to limit it to the first, you know, maybe the earlier part of the morning so that by 12 or so you're done because you want to make sure that it's out of your system by the time it's time for bed. 
Alcohol is sedating, but it doesn't give you good quality sleep. So if you're someone who drinks a lot in the evening, that's going to fragment your sleep and really affect your sleep quality as well. Yeah. And so you mentioned, um, you know, wanting to be on a fairly consistent schedule of, of sleep and, and sort of wake up times. Mm -hmm. And so in a scenario, and, and I bring this up because actually just happened to me this past weekend where I was coming home and my flight was delayed. So I got mm -hmm. home very, very late. It was the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, of course, sleep in later on Saturday morning. But instead, would the recommendation be to maybe stick with a, a wake up time that's fairly consistent, but then maybe taking a nap at another point in time throughout the day? Like, are naps beneficial and, and how can we use kind of napping to their fullest potential or advantage? Oh, that's that's such a good question, too. Um, and I'm not saying that to be cliche. They're... <laughs> They're really good. <laughs> so <laughs> in terms you. of Thank naps, you. naps are great. Naps are helpful. Studies have shown naps improve performance. It improves your memory. It's good for your heart health. But I think the key is figuring out why you need a nap. So if you're napping because you have difficulty sleeping at night, then it's better to try to tackle the sleeping difficulties you have because what naps will do is it will make your sleep drive or your sleep pressure low. And so you might not feel too sleepy in the evening, right? But like you said, if, you've, if you're sleep deprived, either because of some environmental factors, you traveled, you're, you know, things happen, then having a short nap, probably earlier in the day, I would say usually avoid napping after about maybe 1 or 2 p.m., so that you have enough time to build a sleep pressure and you want it not to be too long. So usually I'll say max about 20 or 30 minutes. So make it a power nap just to help teach the edge off so that you can sleep at night. So that is mm -hmm. completely and absolutely allowed. If you sleep for, if you take a long, long nap, I'm sure you may have experienced the way you were exhausted and then you go on to take a nap and then you wake up and you feel even more tired. Um, that's something that happens frequently. So you do want to make sure that you're not taking a nap that's too long. But even with athletes, you know, especially because it's hard for them to fit in excessive number of hours to nap during, to sleep during the night, taking a nap from here to there is perfectly fine. As long as you're not having difficulties like insomnia at bedtime. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so fitting in a nap here and there mm -hmm. when you need it, especially maybe during phases of training where you're doing higher volumes, mm -hmm. like you're just needing an increase overall in rest yeah. or, you know, if there is travel, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you're changing time zones and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that involved and it can be advantageous, but we want to be careful and make sure that the napping isn't either like a, a habit, like yeah. something that we're needing every single day or detracting from our ability to get that long rest at night. Yeah. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, obviously with the rise in wearable technology, we've had all kinds of devices that track sleep for a number of years now, either as part of like our fitness watches. I know, um, like mine certainly does. I actually don't wear mine at night. I take it off and I leave it on my bedside table because I just, you know, have, have never really found that the, the sleep tracking was something that I personally needed. But there's also now more and more devices that are coming out that are very specifically geared towards tracking sleep and also things that are used for like tracking recovery as, as sort of this whole part of that process. So what are your thoughts on like wearable sleep technology? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's important to know why 
um, tracking your sleep, either using a, a, a sleep tracker or wearable sleep tracker, um, or even just all pen and paper, just to kind of see mm-hmm. trends is absolutely fine. But I think it also comes back to why. So if you're obsessing over the data to the point where it's causing more stress for your sleep, then that might be a time to pull it off and just watch more, follow how you feel more than that, right? And the thing about it is I know a lot of these devices promise heaven and earth about the data they provide, but we really are not yet convinced about how reliable they are compared to our standard way of measuring sleep, which is what we call a sleep study or polysomnogram. So, I mean, a lot of times, if you're going to use that, um, if you're going to use a tracker and you want to look at like trends, like I said, am I getting, what time am I waking up? What time am I going to, what time am I going to bed? Am I having very prolonged awakenings? You know, those things may be helpful, but if it starts to tell you, oh yeah, you got this amount of REM sleep, you got this amount of deep sleep, that's when the question starts to come in. Like, what does that even mean? So using it to to just get curious around your sleep, especially if you're not really sure, I think it's good. Um, But I will definitely take that data with a pinch of salt and I'll say, listen to your own body. Because even if your tracker says you got nine hours of sleep and you still feel exhausted, we're not going to, you know, we're going to pay attention to your symptoms, right? And vice versa. So I think that's just one thing. That's the only caveat. Like it's helpful. Some devices claim to be more accurate than others. But beyond that, I think paying attention to what your body is saying and what your true needs are, I think is actually more more, more helpful than, than just a tracker. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that that sort of philosophy that you shared can really be extended to, I think, a lot of the like external tools and technology mm-hmm. that we use these days when we're talking about like health and, and performance mm-hmm. and fitness overall, right? I mean, we have calorie trackers, mm-hmm. we have sleep trackers, we have pace trackers, we have distance <laughs> trackers, we have heart rate trackers. We have so much data. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I felt silly the other week. I was going on a run and, you know, of course I'm turning, turning my watch on. I've got my NYX biosensor for hydration. I've got like my headphones that need to be Bluetooth to my phone. Like, I just felt like I was, I was covered in all of these devices. (laughs) I was at this point where I'm like, this, this feels a bit silly. Hmm. And I love the beauty and, and sort of the simplicity of being able to just maybe disconnect sometimes Hmm. from all of these devices, especially if, they haven't maybe solved a problem. Like if we have labeled ourselves mm. as a poor sleeper, which exactly. we, of course, all we already know we want to get away from, but if we've mm. labeled ourselves that way, and then we have this, this device that's sort of reaffirming that and, and, you know, telling us, yeah, yeah, you know what, your sleep does suck. <laughs> you are yeah. a bad sleeper. Mm-hmm. And we're getting all that feedback. I think that there's probably a point where someone needs to get some professional help and, and, you know, really talk to someone about how we solve the problem because just gathering more data and more numbers isn't really a solution. Absolutely. And and for, especially for people who have insomnia, I actually hundred percent recommend against track, tracking their sleep. They are already obsessed with how bad their sleep is. Now you now get this external validation that may or may not even be true saying that your sleep is crappy. It's, it does not help at all. So if you are struggling with sleep, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> 
yes. from tracking go, mm-hmm. go talk to someone who can, who can actually help you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're definitely going to get to that uh, before the end of our show today of mm-hmm. how people can connect with you if, if you're uh, in the market for getting some help with your sleep. So uh, for people who don't have consistent schedule, so, so one of the biggest tips that you had was try to have that consistent bedtime and wake up time as much as you can. And you did give a really, really good tip already about at the very least, keep your wake up time consistent uh, mm-hmm. as much as possible. But do you have any other advice for people who have maybe like shift work, maybe they work in different time zones, like I'm thinking about pilots or or airline attendants or, you know, shift workers, police officers, uh, nurses, doctors, (laughs) who, you know, just just the nature of their work that they do is that their sleep might be a little bit all over the place. What can they do? Yes. So with shift work, unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, we need them. I think there's been a lot of studies that have shown that shift work is associated with adverse, adverse, adverse consequences, like a lot, including increased risks of heart attacks, hypertension, diabetes, you know, even some cancers, right? So I would say, and I'm going on a limb here, if you do not have to work shifts, try to advocate to get off shift work and get on a regular schedule because you're working completely against your circadian rhythm. I'm saying I'm going on a lane because everybody's family situations are different and we do need people working shifts. So it's not, it's not, that's not going to fix it. We can't have everybody quit their shifts, right? But I would say barring that, some of the things you can do is to really work on Number one, getting as good quality sleep as you can. So this is where we start to then focus on how can we optimize the quality of our sleep? Because think about it, you're going to be working when your circadian rhythm is anticipating sleep. So you're going to be asleep when your circadian rhythm is saying, wait, it's daylight. So there are ways we can work towards that. So sometimes what I would recommend is one, this is when napping is critical. So Mm -hmm. before your shift, making sure that you... You take a nap as, you know, as much as possible, maybe about an hour or so before your shift to get you ready for your shift. During the shift, we start to trick, we're almost like tricking your brain because we're going to tell your brain, no, especially if you're an overnight, if you're working overnight, we're going to expose you to light so that the melatonin production is decreased. And then the latter end of your shift, we're going to start to avoid bright light So that when you're going home, when it's daytime, you're literally going home, limiting exposure to light as much as possible. And then sort of recreating your night routine once you get home. And so that's where blackout shades will come in, having a bedtime routine, taking a bath, limiting disruptions. So you can get as much sleep as you can. In some situations, this is where you might actually need some melatonin because, again, your system is, is switching, right? So you may need melatonin. But if you're going to do that, I definitely recommend speaking with a doctor because the dosing and all that um, is a bit unique. And then in between shifts, depending on what type of shift you're having, if you have a rotating shift, it gets very tricky because you might be on days and then you shift to evening and then you shift to overnight. We sometimes will recommend what you call an anchor, sort of anchor sleep, so that in between your rotations, you're not completely flipping to fully, 
you know the normal your normal schedule right so it gets a little dicey but i think working on optimizing your sleep getting the best quality sleep you can you know during the day before your before your shift and and things like that is really my best my best recommendation and then and then really watching how you eat because that's a circadian rhythm is not just for sleep right all our, our body is really made up of various internal clocks and so the regulation of your diet so when you're awake during your shift it's not the time to eat pizza and steak and things like that because you're your body is not meant to be making that kind of doing that kind of work at that time. So really making sure that you're limiting the amount of carbs you're taking in while you're working shifts and things like that would also help because um, there's a very high risk of obesity and things like that for shift workers. So just those are just some um, recommendations that I would have for shift workers. But I, I totally hear you. It is it is quite challenging. Yeah. And so really the, the main kind of takeaway that I'm hearing here is, you know, this is the reality for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we need shift workers. We we can't yeah. unfortunately just, just, you know, change society to no longer need people working various times of day, but with a little bit more intention mm -hmm. and preparation and thought put into both our sleep. And then also of course our nutrition habits and, and being mindful of those things it's harder than it is maybe for people who don't work shift work, but we can still do pretty good mm -hmm. um, if, if we're just putting in a little bit more effort into things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then the other uh, group population uh, that you actually mentioned that you specialize in that also tends to have a little bit more difficulty in the sleep department uh, would be, you know, parents of young kids. And what I especially see in the running community is parents of, of young children who are trying to train for a race. They've, they've got an event coming up, so they're putting in the time. They're having to wake up early to run and, and balance all of these busy schedules and stuff. But then maybe they have a young child who isn't getting a full night of sleep. So what what are some suggestions or tips that you have for maybe balancing out their need for putting in the work to their training so so they can run and race, but then also getting the rest and recovery time they need to actually succeed? I think there are multiple ways to look at this. Uh, the important thing is really knowing yourself, knowing your what your needs are. And, you know, we I also, we tend to do a test to kind of get a sense of what your chronotype is. Your chronotype just helps you know, am I a morning person? Am I a night owl? Because then you can use that to determine what would be an optimal time for you to exercise and train and use that to your advantage. That's mm -hmm, one. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing is trying to figure out if your child is having sleeping difficulties, why? And I think addressing that is going to be important. So if you have a child who is waking up all the time, they're waking up frequently at night or they're having difficulties falling asleep. And a lot of children, up to 50% of children actually have sleep troubles at some point in their lives, right? So if that's the situation, then it might be worth the investment to spend time to figure out how to get them to get as best quality sleep as well mm -hmm. as possible. So if you have a okay. toddler who is pushing back, we call it limit set, we call it limit setting on bedtime. They are like running around, they have this 
burst of energy. They want an extra hug and water. And there's a lion, there's a tiger under my bed, all sorts of things. So really working on on um, setting in some behavioral strategies because you're doing that to your advantage. Because that way, if you're able to get them into bed at a reasonable time, then you're able to get them sleeping better. Then guess what? You now have that time to be able to train and exercise or, or whatever it is you need to do. And then also, I think this is where really leveraging either the power of community, asking for help will come in. Because depending on what time you have to get out, you do need, you know, you may need help with, okay, can someone just watch the um, the child for like an extra hour while I go out to train and things like that. So those would be some recommendations I would make. And then you also have to consider that it also depends on what type, what time of life, what stage of life you have, your child is in. Is it a baby? Is it a toddler? Is it a school-age kid? Is it a teenager, right? So really that will help you also know like how much sleep do they need? What is their best bedtime? And how can I, what are things that I can do um, to optimize their sleep, to make sure they get enough sleep so that then I can you know, have time to work out and I can have time to do everything that I need to get done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's a really great point that, you know, if, if it is a young child and I mean, I know like newborn babies, I mean, they, they do wake up every few hours mm-hmm. and that's just the nature, but you know, yeah, like a toddler or, or a school age child, they do need a lot of sleep as well. Mm-hmm. And if they're not sleeping rather than it just being something that we sort of struggle through then looking into that further and, and figuring out what's happening with their sleep is uh, definitely a good idea. And, and I love that point that you bring up. And so what is kind of the latest uh, research on sleep and health or, or performance that really has you excited? What are what are some of the new things that have been studied, some of the new research you've seen coming out that makes you really excited to be working in this area of sleep? So many, there's so many right now. There's a lot of exciting work that's been done. One of the things that's been a focus of mine actually has been sleep in adolescents, um, you know, sleep in teenagers and young adults, especially for those who are athletes, right? It's a, we have a, a, a conundrum where teenagers are concerned. They have a, what we call a delayed circadian rhythm in the sense that mm. over time, our teenagers are just not able to sleep early. Like your maybe your school-age child that would sleep by 8 p.m., you now have a teenager who at 10 p.m. is not sleepy. And we go through that. It's completely normal. And then it reverts, it reverts back during adulthood. So there's that piece. And then a lot of times they are overscheduled. They have so much that's been put on their plate, schoolwork, their athletic performance, after-school activities, all that stuff compounds, putting a lot of pressure on them. And then there's, of course, social media and staying connected with friends and all those influences. And so with all of and then on top of that, like we're not, it's not enough. We have what we call the early school start times, right? A lot of teens have to get out to get to school on time. So they are chronically sleep deprived. And really, there's been much more work now that are looking at how we can advocate for later school start times for these kids so that they are sleeping at a time that is best aligned with their circadian rhythm. Because your teen may go to bed, if they can go to bed at 11 p.m. and sleep until 9 a.m., 
they're actually okay they're completely fine but they're going to bed at 11 or 12 midnight and they have to wake up by 5 30 for school so how are they going to perform in their academics in sports in anything when they're so short on sleep so i'm just really excited by a lot of the mission that some organizations and some researchers are really looking at the benefits of later school start time and what i love about that is it is taking the science into policy making and advocacy so i just think it's gonna and, and overall general sleep health because our teens that sleep that are sleep deprived are going to become adults that are sleep deprived right so we are literally then making sure that we're setting this um adolescents and young adults up for success later on in life mm-hmm. so that's really exciting mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I actually remember here in my city that topic coming up, and I don't know if they ever did end up changing the start time uh, for schools or not, but I do remember when that conversation came about just for high schools to maybe start a little bit later in the Mm. morning. And the other thing that that you pointed out was, you know, sleep deprived teenagers, then becoming Mm. sleep deprived adults. And and I think that maybe will breed in some people that mentality of like, I don't need that much sleep. Mm. It's not that important. I can survive off like four or five hours a night and still perform well, because we've we've sort of pushed that on on young people and and sort of bred that mentality of being able to survive on so little. So, um, you know, it kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? It does. Exactly. You're so right. Yeah. So do you have any other like fun facts or or advice about sleep that that you want to share before we wrap up our our session today? Um, I would say one of the things that I love to share, and it's just, I I just think it's a, it provides kind of like a pause and consider moment for most people that I share it with, which is that You know, when we do the math, we spend a third of our lives sleeping. So if you grow up to 75, you're going to be, you're going to have slept for 25 years. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. (laughs) So, and that need has not changed. So when we think about it, we think about the importance of investing in our sleep health because it takes up a large chunk of our lives overall. And there's a reason why that is so because of all the benefits. So just pause and think about it and maybe then start to become a little bit more intentional about the way you see sleep. That's my fun fact. (laughs) Wonderful advice. I love that. I love that. I, I'm a big fan of sleep. I love going to bed at the end of the day, but Mm. I'm also, um, I don't know if there's sort of proper terminology for the the chronotypes, but I'm definitely mm. like the early riser. But I, I feel like I wasn't always necessarily that way. I That mm. sort of was something that I just maybe ad- adapted to and adjusted to over time. But now, like, yeah, I know that I definitely need to be in bed. I mean, I like to be in bed by nine o'clock if <laughs> possible, but that's, that's always awesome. happens. That's okay. <laughs> you're a morning, you're a morning lark. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. But as somebody, yeah, but I mean, as somebody who gets up and and I like to get my workout in and and Mm. run in the mornings before I start my work day. So, you know, I'm tired Mm. by by nine o'clock. Like I'm, I'm definitely ready for bed. But um, yeah, so so thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. It was really, really wonderful. Such a great conversation. And uh, I think that people are going to get so much great advice and, and really actionable 
tips and, and things they can incorporate from it. But if people want more help, um, if they want to learn more about getting enough sleep, and I don't know if you do like virtual consultations with people in different areas or, or how people connect with you and work with you, but please go ahead and, and share where people can find you and learn more about the work you do. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I enjoy talking with you uh, about this because it's so important. And thank you for getting the word out there. So I'm on social media as Restful Sleep MD. So that's one place where I do share a lot of just information on various aspects of sleep. I also have a website that's www.restfulsleepmd.com. That's somewhere you can actually download a checklist. I think, I think we talked about ways to improve your sleep quality. I have that there, which is a quick thing to grab and put it on your fridge and, you know, just kind of follow that to even start building that foundation and I do have a one-on-one coaching program for high achieving high performing women and their children and so that's definitely something that I think if you're ready to really take this to the next level in terms of okay I do need that help I'm obsessed with my sleep tracker or I'm staying in bed for several hours and I'm still waking up tired or I'm just having a hard time falling asleep then we could have a talk I offer free consultation uh, the best way to reach, to make that appointment will be through my website as well on restfulsleepmd.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for the wonderful information and all of your expertise. I appreciate it. And I know all of our listeners here will as well. So it was wonderful chatting with you today. And for everyone listening, be sure to follow uh, Dr. Brown here on social media and check out her website and definitely get your hands on that checklist. Thank you so much. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.